Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Hey, Sarah. Hello, Rebecca. Hey, do you know what is perfect for an audio podcast? I do, like music and stuff, right? Art. Not my guess. This episode is going to be all about art. What were you like as a, an artist in, in high school? Did you have to take any classes? Uh, not in high school. I think they caught me in junior high and they booted me out from taking anything in high school. Aww. I was so bad. Do you want to know how bad I was? Go for it. So we had to, in junior high at some point, we had to do a self-portrait. And instead of looking in the mirror at home like I was supposed to and draw what I saw in the mirror, I decided to do a profile view because I could lay down on the paper and trace my forehead and my nose and my lips and my chin. The face version of those like hand turkeys. <laughs> exactly. It was, it was a face turkey. My art teachers were always um, curious about my plans and I'd always have these elaborate designs and they'd look at me are you sure you can finish that and I took it as a challenge I was like yes you have any of the bowls still uh somewhere in a box <gasps> you know what is hanging on my mom and dad's wall downstairs still hmm. I think it is a clay mask that I made and it's very flat by comparison to everyone else's because I didn't get the idea of stuffing it with paper towel. You have your mask. I have my mask that I made in college. Mine was used on stage for the theater production. The people whose masks were not chosen got to take theirs home. Uh-oh. The people whose masks were chosen, it was now a, a theater prop and put in the, like, the prop cage. So you still have your mask. I stole it back. <laughs> I was so mad because I paid for the materials for that thing. Thus began the life of crime. Just because it was good, I shouldn't be punished. Hey, speaking of good art. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've got a show here, don't we? Yes, we do. What artist are we talking about? John Arfstrom. We've had his art in our collection for about five years, and his daughter came in and sat down with Aaron, and they had a really great conversation about him as a human and what it was like to be his daughter. And all of the great pieces that he's produced. So let's get into it. For those of you who don't know, uh, we are lucky enough to have a collection of paintings and sketches and sketchbooks by uh, the artist John Arfstrom, uh, who lived uh, in a couple different locations over the Twin Cities and retired in Anoka. And I'm speaking with his uh, daughter today, um, Tori, and we're going to be talking a bit about uh, what she remembers and what she knows about her father and her father's artwork. Yeah, and Erin, I'm so happy to be here. It's going to be very interesting. I don't very often get interviewed about my father. So let's go. Yeah. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about like the different 
types of of uh, genres and subjects that your father painted? Oh, that would be that's numerous. My father was always up for a challenge, and so he started he started being um, a fan of something called uh, let's see weird tales. And he ended up illustrating for Weird Tales, and he would do pen and ink in his illustrating. And this is when he was like 18 years old. He wasn't that good, but he thought he was. <laughs> so he would, and he had he had married like three days after his 18th birthday, my mother. So he was trying to support her illustrating for fanzine, small fanzine magazines, and small sci-fi magazines, and the Weird Tales. He got his first job with a place called Gamble's. It was Gamble's Department Store. And he went in there with his portfolio. His portfolio was very strange Weird Tales pictures, uh, <laughs> drawings. And they wanted him to do pots and pans and shirts. <laughs> So he worked very hard at pots and pans and shirts. And he, did, he was there for a couple of years, I believe, and was starting to feel the pinch. He wasn't as good as he thought he was. He was realizing he had never gone to school. He hadn't graduated from high school. But he was hired sometime in the early 50s to, for Brown and Bigelow which was a big calendar company out of, out of uh, St. Paul. And he was hired just as a typical commercial artist. But he, he, ne he knew he needed to better. So what he did, because he, he really didn't have the money to go to night school, regular night school, he applied to something called the Famous Artist Course. Now the Famous Artist Course in the very early 50s was very good. He would work at Brown Beglow, he would come home, and he would do another eight hours on his homework. Oh, wow. And he, the thing with my dad is he kept everything. He kept all his early sketchbooks. He kept the sketchbooks from uh, the time when he was very young. They had moved to Stevens Avenue across with the Art Institute across the street. Oh, okay, yeah. So he was there, he would go and he would, he would sketch the, the nudes in the basement. I'm sure those were the Greek gods. But he would do the nudes in the basement. He also would spy on the figure drawing classes by climbing a, a tree that was adjacent to, the, to the, the building and watching the naked women through the window. So he could draw. <laughs> His friend, yeah, his friend fell out of the tree. But he would do this. Just He was just so captivated. He, and he actually got a lot out of that class. Yeah. And so he kept every single assignment. He kept every grade he got. He kept every critique. He graduated sometime around 1957 from the class. And it was supposed to be a two-year class or a three-year class. But he couldn't quite keep up the payments. He, he did all the work. Yeah. And so his instructors just granted him a waiver with, you know, until the time you finish it. So they continued to work with him, even though he was, he was pretty impoverished. 
So he was working with that. He was working with watercolor and tempura. Yeah. And he was also doing some pastel. Okay. Which he did like. He did not like dirty fingers. Oh, okay. And he was doing oil at the time. And he was starting to move from oil to acrylic. Mm-hmm. He was starting to find that he could experiment much. He could he, he could experiment more quickly with acrylic, and he got actually really good with acrylic. But he did he never stopped oil. He always, he always did some oil, but he was more impatient. And and oil, it takes a lot longer for it to dry. Yeah, I I was thinking that. So he was. He, he would tell me, I remember, he said, if you sketch a hand once, you need to sketch it a thousand times to know the hand. Okay. So that's the type of artist he was. And he took, he had with him a sketchbook everywhere he went. And it didn't matter if he was doing it in ballpoint pen, pencil, charcoal, he did it with whatever he had at the time. Right about that time, I started learning things like, there was a pretty horrific painting at the end of the hall. What did it look like? Well, I have to tell you, my father had been quite captivated by probably the second release of Frankenstein. Okay. He, he was too young for the first, so it must have been the second release. And uh, at the, the time, movie? It was, a ten, it was a 10 cent matinee. Oh, okay. And so there, nobody went with him. He was just like <laughs> an eight-year-old, seven-year-old kid. He said nothing had ever affected him or terrified him as much as Frankenstein. Okay. My father ran all the way home, quite convinced that Frankenstein was going to fall. <laughs> so he was forever, ever impressed with Frankenstein. And so this picture, as me as a six-year-old, at the end of the hall, my dad had taken, and my dad had a crew cut at the time, <laughs> he had taken a flashlight to the bottom chin and he had illuminated his face with a flashlight yeah. and did a self-portrait. Oh, goodness. Which was horrifying to the neighborhood. <laughs> the kids, they would all, Tori, let's see, let's, can we see the painting? And so they would all, my friends would quietly go down the hall, look at the painting, scream, and run out of the house. <laughs> it was just, that was what we did because it was very scary. We didn't want to look at it too long because it was too scary. My, my father would come home from work at five. He would have supper, go up in the studio, and he would work on his stuff until midnight or sometimes later. So what was the difference between like the Brown and Bigelow stuff and his stuff, like in how they Brown looked? Brown and Bigelow stuff was what dad had to do. Yeah. It was simple watercolors of Boats and bridges. Okay. Or trains and what trains and barns. That was the water. That was Brown and Bigelow. Yeah. He did. He illustrated playing cards. He illustrated. He was actually. I didn't realize it. Some um, one of his coworkers told me that he was. Um, he did all their comics. Oh, okay. When he came home, it was different. Okay. And meanwhile, my friends at the new neighborhood. I wondered why the attic light was on all night. You know, as far as they were concerned, he did a lot of he did a lot of um, freelancing also at the time. So okay. I can't say that everything he did from six at night to midnight was his own because he did 
it was very tight being an artist. Artists yeah. didn't make a lot of money. I can remember, must have been 67, must have been 10, 11 years old. I would, I, we were out, we'd go up in the studio, it was not off limits at all. Often I would just bring friends up there to shock them with whatever he was doing. <laughs> but I'd gone up there and he was, my father watched no sports. Nothing <laughs> bored him more than sports. He, he, so I went up there and I saw this amazing Viking on a poster. And dad's got working with these figures, these football figures around it. And it turned out to be the first Viking poster. Oh, cool. But okay. my dad had no idea what the numbers meant on those players. <laughs> so he had numbers of players that, you know, hadn't been around for years or whatever, whatever he was using, yeah. his pictures. And so now I look at that. He, it's, you know, he did, it did go into production, but I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, my dad was so, you know, naive about football, <laughs> but it's cute. The, and the Viking was much, I thought he was much more handsome and much more rugged than <laughs> what the Vikings ended up with. He started doing portraits about that time, maybe a few years later. My mother was his model, whether he was painting her, drawing her or sketching her, whatever she was doing. Mm -hmm. This was probably two nights a week oh my that my goodness. mother was. And my mother, cute as cute as she could be, and she was his little naked model up there. <laughs> so us kids would go up there, and it'd be like, Mom, and she, how fast she'd get the towel. Oh <laughs> and she'd goodness. be like, please not now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so I, we do have those, you know, there's sketchbook after sketchbook of my mother. And she's pretty cute. So uh, she was much cheaper than taking classes. I, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I had an unusual childhood. But I, but, and for me, a nude, a nude painting was like a oh, big deal. But um, I was just wondering, like, because we have so many of these sketchbooks, and I was like, oh, this is the same lady over and over yes, again. Yes, my mother and another my mother. <laughs> Nobody else did it. He, his surrealism started about 1970. There okay. were a few things he did in the 50s I've got. Okay. And they were, they were frightening when I was little. Yeah. You know, one is he has an atomic bomb. Oh. With an egg and a skeleton terrible type type thing oh my god half a roman helmet on it oh my god so goodness. this would impress me quite a bit but that he stopped doing that through the 60s because i i've gotten to see a number of these and they're they're really amazing so like uh but for the benefit of um anyone listening um what kinds of things popped up in his surreal works like i've he does something that i call real surreal yeah, we've got one of those next You've to us, one actually. Right here. The one right here, if I can describe it to people. Yeah, absolutely. It was the house that my parents bought on Lake Johanna Boulevard. had been built in 1903, I think. Maybe 04. Mm -hmm. And they had a, was, had a pump house on the property across the driveway from the house. But he would go out and he'd be, he would paint the, the pump house. Okay. And so I think he, when he got discouraged, he got discouraged with what he was painting, probably bored. He would start to play with it. 
And so this pump house, and there are multiple pump house paintings. Some oh, are in okay. watercolor, some are acrylic. This one is an acrylic. Okay. And he's taken the pump house, and the door is ajar. And the old milk can is sitting in front of the pump house. The door itself, you'll see, is fading into space. Mm-hmm. I, don't want to, I don't know if I should say galaxies or cosmos, whatever he is painting. It's just this kind of... Um, he has a space in there. Yeah. And it's full of stars and orbs. Yeah. Planets. And yet, at the same time, you can see the lock where the door is locked. The, the detailed lock sits on the window ledge, and the latch is open. You could really make the argument it's a very realistic-looking space scene with all of these, like very uh, intricate detailed little stars and the way they're mapped out and the the very um, like full looking orbs and and then this very very like muted and and realistic looking shed in the milk pail but the way that they're put together makes it so mysterious and magical it's really fascinating it it, yes I think that's right I think it's like you realize that that door might exist. It's Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's very Twilight Zone. That door exists somewhere, and you don't know if you want to go in it. Yeah. Maybe like, you, you could know. open it up and, and see the cosmos, any door yeah. you're behind. or it's a, it, it makes it particularly uh, particularly fantastical, almost. What he did is he did star after star, and he would put a glaze over them. Oh. And then he would star them again and glaze oh. them. And as he glazed more and more, they get deeper and deeper into the painting. Yeah. So sometimes he would do a wash with his glaze, sometimes just depending on what he was doing. So he very cleverly does this. And he did this painting. Oh, I don't know. I, I bet he did this painting in 84. Two eighty four. Yeah, I'm not sure. I would have to look. And he also documented every painting. I can look up this painting through his slides, through his. He has books that have the amount of hours it took to do this painting, mm-hmm. and what influenced him, and where he painted it. Whether he painted it at work, on, um, you know, at work. During, he, he would start it, and then he'd take it to work and do it during his lunch hour. Mm-hmm. So it would, t- would give the full history of the painting. That is so cool. He, the real surreals are kind of like, maybe his triple aces. They <laughs> are very beautiful. Because I can't find other paintings comparable. Yeah, I, I would have to agree, especially... Um, coming, especially contemporary paintings, paintings coming out at the same time. Right. Uh, Oh, he was very different then. He was probably 40 years ahead of his time. mm Mm-hmm. 90% of the time. He also was a member of the the Door Star Watercolor. Oh, okay. And for one part time, he was president. And he would do a lot of, he was still doing watercolors there, too, because watercolors were bread and butter for him because people loved watercolors. Yeah. And so he would illustrate, he would do demos on watercolors or teach, and people would buy his paintings. Um, he was very popular that way. But those people that bought the watercolors did not want to see his other paintings. They were portraiture in his surreal. He had different types. First, he had 
what I just described, which is like a real surreal. Mm -hmm. It looks like a real painting until you look closer. Yeah. And then he had his regular sci-fi. Mm -hmm. And the regular sci-fi was really fun because, you know, he was illustrating sci-fi in the late 40s and 50s. Yeah. So his rocket ships are just like, are, are that era. Yeah. And that's the charm. He has, but he has immense imagination. Yeah. Well, he shows an abandoned, crashed spaceship on some lost planet. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And then my dad's fantasy is really fun. And that's where you have strange ships going through the sea, going through the, the, the space sea yeah. in full sail with, you know, just, he would play with things. Yeah, like big metallic, like galleon type ships yes. that are going and, through and, and space. They would, be, they would be led by fish. Yeah. Fish with... with like mechanical fish, some, uh, some I noticed a lot of them. Yeah. Some would look like, or there would be seagulls and there would be robots on tethers. Oh, I love the fantasy robots that you pointed out. Fantasy robots were so much fun because he did those in the early 80s. And he steampunked them all. (laughs) You can look through the robot and you see all the whirls and the gears and um, the hoses. I mean, they're very very fantastical. They they have these wonderful uh, whirls and curls and, and like scripting and details and yeah. they don't look like they should work but then they have all of these like very prominent gears and pipes and connections where you see how they how they do work and it's a it's a really they there is no other way to describe them than no. fantasy robots. And he has he has a horse that's completely oh yeah weird horse. I mean he he loved to work this he his imagination was boundless in all of the, the paintings he did he would incorporate his self-portraits somehow whether it was his face coming out of a tree mm-hmm. or you know he being the contemplative figure he also did my mother and put her into strange positions you know not nude <laughs> he didn't do that nude in the 80s <laughs> he, he kept clothes under that uh, fish. He would have floating goldfish with his floating trout. Sunnies in the forest is one of his. Oh, I particularly his surreal love that one. That's why he took a, a real surreal where he took a a forest, just a pine forest. I mean, it was a. Uh, it's probably pine, spruce, well, whatever it was. And he would use the damp, the rotted logs, and he created. A space where bluegill sunnies mm-hmm. are flitting through it. Yeah, uh, through the trees. Through the trees. So, you know, the trees have, you know, you can see the needles. You can see the green needles. So it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that really stands out to me between the surreals and the real surreals is uh, the surreal portraits have these, like, very vibrant, very saturated colors. It's it's a lot of um, complementary colors right next to each other. Uh, and then the real surreals 
are far more so. muted. They're they're far more subtle. And so you have this like uh like very exquisitely detailed, very realistic bluegill uh and you have these very realistic, very uh exquisitely detailed um pine trees and what makes it so magical looking isn't uh, like a change in either of those, but it's the placement of them. It's, I don't know where else to go with things, but he did everything. Yeah. He, he did every medium he could try. In his last years, he was, he was shaky. He was not able to do as much. Mm. And he was starting to, he thought he would try to learn um, watercolor pencils. Oh, okay. Or when you could take the the colored pencils and dip them water to blend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was starting to try that because it was getting harder and harder for him to, well, the last year it was getting hard. He really couldn't uh, spend as much time in the studio. Yeah. So, but he did, he would, when he was in dialysis, he would sketch off. All of the people around him. I found on one machine. of those sketchbooks. Yeah. yeah. So he would he would be sketching the nurses and the other patients at dialysis. You know, so he was always busy, and he got in trouble too. <laughs> he would be he he had a a video camera that he loved because he could stop it. Uh huh. And then he would have a he would have an image. Oh, he I could see. Think of something okay. for something. Yeah. And so he loved to go to playgrounds. And to catch play, catch children on swings, or oh. you know, um, on slides, just catching catching people's interactions, people yep. walking by, expressions and motion to well, use as art well, reference. Think that he's well, yes, I, I can definitely see where my, this is going. My gentle, kind father, and they're saying, please don't bring your camera here. <laughs> so anyway, it was very different. It was very fun being his daughter. It was, caused me to be a little peculiar because <laughs> I mean I think I either have to go with this or you know how am I going to fight this my, or my friends with nudes throughout the house <laughs> I think you either um, roll with it or rebel against it and it seems that you've rolled with it <laughs> well, they, they, my parents were so gentle and accommodating they never gave us anything to rebel against Oh, okay. That, that makes sound? sense. It's just, it's such an amazing collection. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate the fact that he's being noticed. Yeah. And uh, it's it's got to be my, my personal favorite collection, just because I, I love, I love art, and I love... I love this kind of art in particular. When They're my so father, amazing. as he got older, the past in 2015, he ended up having to be put on dialysis. Oh, okay. And it was quite quick. Um, he, I would say, Dad, what are we going to do with the art? He'd say, Nobody cares. What no. do you mean? Give it away. So, Dad, no, I, there's something, we can't just, I mean, he said, nobody cares. He said he had tried for years to get any people to buy it, even at sci-fi conventions, oh. and there wasn't much interest. But, you know, he left me with about 2,500 pieces of art. 
Wow. And probably, I'm sure there's 350 of those are surreals. But now, I think that, I think he's, he was off, he was out of time by 40 years. Yeah. And the people now, um, prints of his work would be very appreciated. I, I think so too. I, I definitely think so too. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hello everyone, I'm Haley Coble, a librarian at the Northtown Library in Anoka County, and today I have a wide variety of recommendations about art history, drawing, watercolor paintings, and more. First of all, I wanted to make you all aware of Creative Bug. Creative Bug is a database accessible with your Anoka County Library card and is chock full of creative art ideas. With everything from fiber arts to paper arts to cake decorating and ceramics, there is something for everyone on Creative Bug. Find it under books and more in our databases. Next up, I wanted to talk about nature painting and watercolor. Learn to paint florals, ferns, trees, and more in colorful contemporary watercolor by Christina A. Lombardi. Want to learn about watercolor but don't know where to start? This book will give you tools, techniques, and suggestions for how to use the natural world to inspire your watercolor. And it's step-by-step, step, so you can follow along. Moving away from painting and more into sketching, we have How to Draw Sci-Fi Utopias and Dystopias. Create the futuristic humans, aliens, robots, vehicles, and cities of your dreams and nightmares by Prentice Rollins. Written by DC Comics artist Prentice Rollins, this book will not only give you a primer to drawing, but will teach you how to conceptualize and create sci-fi scenarios as well. It also features author-provided scenarios, complete with fleshed-out world-building to help you create future worlds. The pulp sci-fi and horror magazine Weird Tales was just one of the venues for John Arfstrom's work. Many well-known authors today got their start in this strange magazine, including Conan Arthur, Robert E. Howard, and his horror-penning pal, H.P. Lovecraft. Anoka County Library has a lot of these pulpy, early sci-fi and horror books as well, including The Coming of Conan the Sumerian by Robert E. Howard. And last but not least, we have Art Curious, stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history by Jennifer DeSalle. Based on the popular podcast, Art Curious teaches about the lesser known side of art history, like the fact that Monet's paintings were once considered ugly. What? Or that there is evidence to suggest that Vincent van Gogh may have actually been murdered. Learn about the weird parts of art history in this fun book. Thanks again for stopping by for the Library Minute. Come visit us and ask a librarian for help fulfilling all your artsy needs or use the call numbers listed for guidance. And don't forget to check out Creative Bug. Have a great day. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. You know, I appreciated hearing Tori speak about her father in such a personal way and 
and explaining that he realized at one point that he just wasn't that good. Or at least not as good as he thought he was. <laughs> and gosh darn it, he was going to do something about that. Problem solver. I think we all have this idea sometimes that artists are just sort of created whole and you either are a good artist or you're not, Rebecca. And so you're suggesting I should have stuck with art? Never mind, don't answer that. Carry on. could have stuck with, it's a learning thing and he wanted to go out and learn and she mentioned this great artist course and we have those from him in the collection. So we have all of his homework, all of the drawings that he did for that and his grades and everything. And it's really interesting to look through. Meticulous records. Which you also don't associate with artists, but also Not important. at all. <laughs> also important. But if you're curious as to what some of that art and uh, early homework of John Arfstrom, you can check out. It's on our website. I'll definitely put a link to that in our show notes. Sounds good. There's lots of good things on our website. So you should always just have it as your homepage. John Arfstrom Art tends to make it through my phone backgrounds every once in a while. I'll admit. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful art. <laughs> Thanks, you guys, for listening along today, and we'll catch you next time. See you later. Bye. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, the Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future. <laughs>